Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, we got one day of games to recap now, don't we? It's a fresh new world out there in season episodes of Fantasy NBA Today. They are officially upon us. And I don't even know how to feel. I like my emotions are all over the map. I'm excited. I'm in this weird lull because the effort level of the ramp up to the season was so unbelievably high that my body's like, Dan, you got to take your foot off the gas. And at the same time, this is not the moment to take your foot off the gas. This is when you got to be extra vigilant to find out if anything is taking shape in a way that either we did or did not expect. First thing is, hello everybody, this is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Vespris. Opening night recap show, we're also going to mush it in together and do a big Wednesday preview on this one because, well, there were only two games on opening night, and so if we just did a recap of that, we'd have a nine-minute show, max, and that's probably not worth my time. Also, um, when possible, I am going to try to fit both of those elements, the recap and the look ahead, into one program. There might be days where you have you know, like a big card and then another big card where it might be easier to split them up. Again, most of the time, we'll try to get them into one show together. That would allow for more specialty episodes, buy low, sell high, stuff like that. We can do kind of you know, one-off special shows and and move from there. Um, I want to start the recap here by reminding everybody of something very important about fantasy sports, and that is it's a long, long season. Good things happen on day one. Bad things happen on day one. Good things happen on day two. Bad things happen on day two. Because one good thing or one bad thing happened on the first game of the season for your specific team or your specific player, that does not make them true for the whole year. So, for instance, as an example, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to give an example on both sides of this. Chris Paul, who, you know, couldn't throw a stone in the ocean in yesterday's ballgame, but ended up with 14 points, six boards, nine assists, two steals. Six out of seven free throw shooting. Ended up with a really nice ball game. I loved it because you guys know how many places I end up with Chris Paul. I am Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in kind of thing with him. That doesn't mean it's going to be this good every night. You'll notice I'm not taking a Chris Paul victory lap today. Because one game, doing a victory lap after one game is like guaranteeing that the karmic gods are going to come down and smite me. On the opposite side, Devin Booker had a massive first game. I'm not going to get off of my position, which is I don't think he's that brilliant of a passer. And you guys out there who disagreed with me on that shouldn't be taking a victory lap either because the karmic gods will slap you down too. This is why we assess things over the entire season. Let's get into some of the recap stuff. I've already got the page ready to go. Here it is. It's shared. I want to get up to the first game on the board from yesterday. Lakers lost in Denver 119-107. Denver 
it's the weirdest damn phenomenon. Despite being the world champs, they still have somehow convinced themselves that they're the underdogs to the Lakers, and so they actually came out with more fight than L.A. did. And the way we know this to be true is because Michael Malone played his starters 36 minutes. Jokic got 36, Gordon 35, Jamal 34, KCP 36, Michael Porter Jr. A scant 30 minutes. While the Lakers played LeBron 29 and then came out after the ball game to say that, yeah, he's basically going to be on a season-long minutes cap. Anthony Davis played 34. D'Angelo Russell actually led the team in minutes at 36. But Austin Reeves, 31. Torian Prince, 30. This game seemed to mean more to the Nuggets than it did to the Lakers, which is kind of unusual when you figure the Nuggets swept them out of the playoffs last year. But it's actually one of the reasons why I kind of liked the Nuggets on the spread in this game. We didn't get into betting stuff on yesterday's show. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit as we work our way through the season this year. It won't be a, a main focal point, but it will come up from time to time. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, the notes on this game are, or at least the things that I was looking at, on the Nuggets side, would anybody take up the Bruce Brown mantle or, frankly, just the Bruce Brown minutes? And after day one, the answer so far is no. Nobody took the Bruce Brown minutes. Christian Brown got a couple extra. Reggie Jackson actually got a bunch extra. They went smaller. Uh, Zeke Naji played 12. Peyton Watson played 11. The bench for Denver was basically a non-factor in yesterday's game. I know Reggie Jackson did, like, some stuff, but when you figure... Like, the Lakers went, I don't know. I mean, Max Maxwell Lewis and Max Christie got in there for the last minute. 15 in junk time. Jalen Pickett, Braxton Key, and Colin Gillespie did the same over on the Nuggets side. If you remove that, uh, Denver went 9 deep, and I think the Lakers went 10 deep because Jackson Hayes played 7 minutes. But the Nuggets going 9 deep, like, that doesn't even really tell the story because it was 24 minutes, 19 minutes, then 11 and 12 for their bench guys. For the Lakers, you had an 18, you had a 22, you had a 16, you had a 15. There were just more of them. Why am I getting into all that stuff? It seems like we're digging way too far into the thick stuff. We've left the fairway here on this discussion to say, for Denver, your five starters are your plays right now. We talked a bunch on this show through the draft season about KCP being like a kind of 90 to 100 range, quiet plotter, not super exciting. In fact, one of the questions on yesterday's pod was, would you start KCP tonight? And I think I said, yeah, if you need threes and steals, you start him. And he got you two threes and three steals. Also got you 20 points, which is not something that's going to repeat itself. But two, steal, or two threes, three steals, if that's what you need... He's the guy that's going to get them for you, and that'll probably be enough to, when you're looking at just fantasy rank standpoint, in 9-cat, that'll probably get him inside the top 100, if but barely, over the course of the year, but it's still good enough. Meanwhile, to do the uh, superhero voiceover, over on the Lakers' side, Torian Prince got the start, played 30 minutes at small forward. Jared Vanderbilt was out, so that was a factor. Rui Hachimura didn't get to play very much, so that was a factor. Um, did I like what I saw at Torian Prince? Yes, actually. I mean, you know, got wide open three pointers and hit a bunch of them, but he's not going to shoot six out of eight from the field in every ball game. He's not going to make four threes in every ball game. The lack of rebounds, assists, steals, he did sort of fall into a block is a thing that will hold him back. I know he had a big ball game yesterday, but you have to remove the, uh, basically the things that are anomalous, which is 75% shooting. 
If you assume over the long haul he makes between three and four of his eight shots instead of six, that pretty dramatically swings his line from yesterday from 18 points, four threes, to something more like nine points, two to three threes, and not a whole lot else. From a streaming standpoint on the head-to-head side, I guess I would get it. Lakers have a pretty good schedule this week. Um, we don't know if Jared Vanderbilt's going to be back for those games, but I wouldn't spend a Roto Caps game on Prince, and I certainly am not adding him in any format where I have uh, a roster slot that I want to kind of keep through. LeBron was decent, but 29 minutes is a problem, and this is why throughout the whole damn draft season, I don't know if anybody yelled at anyone as much as I yelled at you guys about not drafting LeBron James this year. I said if he falls into the 40s, I would look at it. He never fell into the 40s. The Lakers want to keep his minutes down. And everybody's in a full-blown panic right now on Lakers Twitter. Oh, the Lakers can't win if LeBron James doesn't play 36 minutes of ballgame. Friends, the Lakers lost to the champs. They lost to the best team in the frickin' NBA. Don't worry about it. This isn't something that they're going to change the plan on after one day. Yes, I do think LeBron eventually works his way into the low 30s, but I don't think you're getting that 35-36 number from last year. You're not getting 22 shots a game from him. You're not getting 9 or 10 assists per game. Uh, And if he misses his free throws, the upside is pretty severely capped. This is why I said fade. I like the minutes for Anthony Davis. I expect the field goal percent will be fine. Uh, you know, this is a game where he just got rolled by Jokic. Uh, Austin Reeves, same story. Field goal percent will be fine. He got himself to the free throw line. Didn't hit him in this one, but I think actually generally encouraged by his minutes and his production. And then maybe my favorite storyline on the Lakers, and I know he's getting roasted for like taking an ISO three at some point yesterday, but that's D'Angelo Russell, who was a plus one plus minus in this ballgame, so that's good for him. He is generally playing harder. And he's going to run hot and cold. He went 4 for 12 shooting in this game. He'll go 6 for 12 in a future game. It'll balance out to somewhere in the low 40s. 11 points, 4 boards, 7 assists, a steal, and a couple of 3-pointers on a bad shooting night is a really good outcome for D'Lo. Because a better shooting night... And this game is 17 points, four boards, seven assists, a steal, and a couple of three-pointers, or maybe even three of them. And the midpoint on that, if he's getting around 14 points a game and over six assists a night with threes and steals, then this is a guy who was falling into the early 100s in fantasy drafts, and he has a potential to be a pretty nice hit. So I liked that. Uh, game two on the docket, I think probably had both more and less to talk about from yesterday, which is a weird way to frame it, but both Phoenix and Golden State had a critical piece out in their lineup. For Phoenix, it was Bradley Beal, and that allowed Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and Eric Gordon, mind you, to do more than they would have done if he was there. Because look, if Beal is there, he takes... Basically all of those Eric Gordon shots. Sorry, Gordon, you're not taking 16 shots when Beal is upright. Because nobody else really wanted to shoot all that much. Josh Okogie had a good ball game, but he shot 78%. That's not repeatable. Uh, Nurk only took eight shots at five fouls. I honestly think 28 minutes is probably a pretty good target for him. But Booker, 21 shots. Durant, 22. If we think Beal is going to come in and try to get up near 20 as well... That's probably a recipe for Book and KD to come down a little bit. Is anybody worried about Kevin Durant having a bad shooting game? You shouldn't be. He's Kevin Durant. 
Um, we can pa- I think we can gloss right over him. The storylines, I would think, on the Phoenix side are, number one, Devin Booker, 32 points, six boards, eight assists, three threes, and a steal uh, on terrific percentages. Yes, he had six turnovers, but that's because he was the only ball-handling guard basically at all on this damn team yesterday. Jordan Goodwin played 14 minutes, but that's the closest facsimile they had to a point guard getting out there uh, besides Booker. So this, I think, is one of those moments where I want people to try to take a quick step back, not run the victory lap, not throw up the mission accomplished banner, but in fact, look at this for what it is, which is a perfect opportunity for Devin Booker to get off to a fantastic start. Because Beal, not that he's going to take a lot away from Booker, but he will take some. Because we heard them talking about how they wanted Beal running some point to get Booker off ball a little bit more. Booker, as we've seen in games where Chris Paul wasn't there in the past, has a very high turnover rate when he's the primary point guard. Because he's only a decent passer and not a, like, preeminent point guard level passer. I saw a few folks post on Twitter last night that Booker had an eight assist game and they were like, oh, he's going to average seven to eight assists. Guys, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be one of the higher assist totals you see this year. And it's also worth pointing out, he got three of those assists in the final two minutes of the ball game. You got to know context. And you also need to kind of understand averages because if this is one of the good ones, then there are going to be games where there are four, three, four assist nights, and it's going to average, what did I say during the run-up? Between five and a half and six and a half was my target for Booker. Seven to eight to eight plus. Like, do we really think that this was the midpoint for him? I get it. It's a huge ball game, and I'm not here to pour a bunch of water on it because if you have Booker yesterday, you got off to a really damn good start in everything other than turnovers. He also shot the ball well. He's basically the only player, or only, like, big-time player outside of, what, Nikola Jokic? I guess LeBron shot it okay. But, like, most of the big-name players, and we'll talk about the Warriors in a minute, most of the big-name players could not throw a stone in the ocean. Kevin Durant had one of his worst shooting games. He'll probably have the entire season here on opening night. Booker hit everything. The three threes, also a high number for him. He doesn't usually hit three three three-pointers a night. The six rebounds, high for him. Please, I know you want to look at this with rose-colored lenses. My job is to try to make sure everybody looks at everything in a pragmatic way. And for Booker, not that you could, like, sell high on a second rounder, because what are you going to get, a late first rounder for him? And you're not going to get it after one ballgame. Just make sure you understand that when Beal comes back, and things level off, this was one of the better all-around games. Not the best. He'll have some other really good ones mixed in there because he's Devin freaking Booker. And even when I was down on him, I still thought he was a reasonable late second-round kind of grab. I just didn't want him near the turn. And I still don't think he's going to be at the turn. After one good ball game, it doesn't really change my opinion of that because the shooting was exceptionally high. There was no other point guard out there with him. And six turnovers a game, yeah, that matters. And one combined defensive stat, that matters. This is why, by the way, based on just Z-score alone, I know you can't go on that, Aaron Gordon technically had a better game yesterday than Devin Booker. I know, 
technically. You'd still rather have Book, but I'm just pointing out a couple of things. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, I like it. 28 minutes for him is a good sign. Um, don't expect big scoring numbers, but if he can facilitate a little bit, he got his three assists, rebound a whole bunch. He did that. Durant, I think, is going to be rebounding a lot. Book or Nurk got a block. Hopefully he can get a block, a steal, some fraction of a big fraction call it like you know 0.7 to 1 of each would be swell I'm encouraged by this first game in Phoenix for him uh I'm encouraged by Drew Eubanks if you're looking at a slightly deeper format three blocks is good but bad shooting bad free throws bad turnovers not good 19 minutes isn't enough let's be honest Eubanks we've seen him before he needs to get closer to starters minutes to really be a 12 teamer but as a deeper league guy he's interesting Grayson Allen Wet fart of a first game. You can throw him in out uh, in the old garbage roo. And on, in terms of the Eric Gordon stuff, no chance I'm picking him up in Roto. Head-to-head, uh, -head, if we find out that Beal is missing any more time, you probably throw Gordon in the mix and just hope that he has a better shooting night, kind of the old close-your-eyes-and-pray night for him. Because if this terrible night levels off with a not-quite-so-terrible night, 16 shots is enough to get some kind of fantasy value on the board. And that's the Phoenix Suns data point without Bradley Beal. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Over on the Warriors side... And we'll have to do kind of some similar stuff here. Um, Steph Curry only one assist in yesterday's ball game. I would caution folks not to get too down on Steph after one game. Because I think, first of all, he was in foul trouble. He had five fouls, so he only played 30 and a half minutes. That number will probably be higher in typical competitive ball games. Um, again, this is just like the trying to make sure that everybody sees things for the one game that it is. Steph, well, first of all, no Draymond Green. We should preface the Warriors' discussion with the lack of Draymond, which makes everything go kind of into the toilet for the Warriors. That's the way it's always been. They've built what they do around Steph and Draymond. Those two guys need to be on the court for the Warriors to be the Warriors because Dre is excellent at facilitating and Steph draws so many defenders out him, and Dre is such a wide-bodied man. He sets these screens Teams just leave him. And so Draymond drives down the middle, finds somebody who's wide open because you can't just give him an unimpeded path to the rim. Even Draymond can make a damn layup. And that's how the Warriors operate. But they didn't have that guy. Kevon Looney is not that guy. He sets good screens, but he's not the, the passing threat that Draymond is. 
So someone can just step kind of near him, force him to make a tough play going to the rim, and Looney's not going to be able to finish that. So it's just a different monster. Therefore, you saw more actually shuttle into the hands of Chris Paul, who, while I'd love to throw my own ticker tape parade, I am a pragmatic man, fully aware that, I don't want to say this is going to be one of the better games of the year for Chris Paul, but from an assists standpoint, nine is probably one of the bigger numbers you'll see. He's still Chris Paul, so he's still going to find his way into assists, and his team didn't shoot well, so he'll get assists easier than he got last night. And that's sort of the balancing act with him, where if his teammates could shoot better in this ballgame, Paul might have had 11 or 12 assists yesterday, but once Draymond comes back, that number is going to come back down again. So I would think something between 7 and 9 is a reasonable target for CP3. The steals are going to be there. Um, the boards were a little bit high for him. I don't think that's going to stick. And then the field goal percent will obviously be better than 27%. I don't know that he's going to get back into that high 40s that he was when he was younger. Because, look, Chris Paul was drafted in 2005. I think he's the third oldest player in the NBA behind LeBron and P.J. Tucker right now. Um, so the 14 points, I mean, that seems kind of reasonable. I don't know that he gets 15 shots every ball game. Efficiency will be better. A lot of stuff with CP3 was like, well, this will happen, but then this will also happen. So as I look at this ball game for Chris Paul, who's someone that I'd love to like jump in front of you guys and yell, yay, we did it kind of thing. Um, this is probably a better opportunity for him because of Draymond. You'll see better games from him when the opportunity isn't as good. And so overall, it probably levels off to something maybe just a hair below this in the categories that you're hunting with him, most notably assists and steals. And then the stuff that you're not hunting as much, which is like points, there's a possibility that that could actually improve some ga some days, uh, as well as three-pointers. He missed all of those, and he, and he did take a few. Uh, also of note, kind of looping back around to the Steph Curry side, because Chris Paul was the guy orchestrating, that took Steph out of his usual role, which was the primary with Draymond on the screen, and then Steph able to distribute off of all of the attention he draws. I would expect that to drift back in Curry's direction. He'll get to do more when he's not in foul trouble. He'll get to do more when Draymond is in there at the big man spot. I wouldn't worry about that. Steph's not going to average one assist per ball game, But with Chris Paul around, now kind of in addition to Draymond, yeah, I think there's a very real chance that Steph's uh, assists aren't quite as high as they were last year at 6.3. Maybe they drop down into the high fours, low fives. Feels like something that could very easily happen. Also of note on the Warriors' side, a brutal, brutal performance from Andrew Wiggins. I mean, that was about as bad as it could have possibly gone. I have zero Andrew Wigginses on any of my, like, 10, 11 total fantasy teams this year, so this one didn't directly impact me, but watching it happen, I was sitting there going, ooh, what's going on here? Um, he'll play his way into game shape a little bit better, but he did only play 27 minutes, and it's possible that Jonathan Kaminga getting better might actually hurt Wiggins more than we thought. Like, the... the and by the way, Moses Moody played relatively well in his 18 minutes uh, on top of that, and Gary Payton... The second played 22 minutes off the bench. So the thing is, right now for the Warriors, they have a little bit more depth, I think, this year than 
the last two seasons, at least that they trust, with Kaminga getting better, uh, Dario Saric being a little bit of a better floor spacing back, Moody being someone they trust, Peyton being someone they trust. Corey Joseph played four minutes and was a minus 12, by the way, in yesterday's ballgame, so I don't think that he's going to be a guy they trust regularly. But all of this stuff rolled together. Do you think that's going to impact Steph? No. Clay Thompson? No. Dre? No. CP3? Maybe. But probably no. And unfortunately, the guy left over where you're like, well, maybe it could eat in a little bit, is Wiggins. If he's not having a really good game with the laser focus and really, like, all things locked in, you saw it yesterday. He just lost out to Kaminga and Moody and Peyton as they went to slightly different looks. Wiggins was a team-worst minus 22 in his 27 minutes. Basically, every lineup he was in was trash in yesterday's game. Do I think he'll be better? Yes. Do I also think that last year was a little bit fluky? Remember, he was like a top 40 guy until he had all the family stuff go down. Everything was just way over out over his skis last season. You're not dropping him. I don't know if I need to say that. And then Clay Thompson, uh, 15 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, a block, 3 three-pointers. The shot wasn't there. Uh, I like the general activity, and he led the team in minutes played at 36, which is also, I think, a good sign. Um, one of the fears I saw in initial reactions was that he looked slow. And, I mean, yeah, see, you know, two catastrophic injuries. I think he plays himself into pretty good shape this year. I'm, I'm fairly bullish on Clay Thompson. And again... Give me Clay getting 18 shots a game, and I kind of don't care what else is going on. 36 minutes and 18 shots, he will have a good fantasy season. Question for him becomes, does he shoot 42%? 3, 4, 5, 6. What's the number there? Because that's what moves his value around. Is he a high-volume 43? Because that's hurting you. Or is he a high-volume 45 and a half? Because that's only hurting you a little bit. But three to four threes a game is well within reach. He had four threes a game last season. The rebounds were kind of high here. That's not something that's going to stick. The assists, two to three, repeatable. He got a block, no steals. Those will probably flip-flop in most games. And then, obviously, you'd love to see him get to the foul line twice. I mean, you take it because he's a really good foul shooter. But uh, generally, I liked what I saw there. I think everybody wants to know my thoughts on Jonathan Kaminga. He played a solid 20 minutes. He was in and out of foul trouble early in this ball game. So could there have been more last night? Yes. But when Draymond comes back, that's going to squeeze him a little bit there. So it was another one of these things where I was like, and I don't know how long Draymond's going to miss, hopefully not too many ball games. but Kaminga has this golden opportunity right now with no Draymond to step in there and outplay Andrew Wiggins and just soak up a whole bunch of forward minutes, and the fouls cooked him yesterday. But he's probably streamable on the head-to-head side while, while Green is out. Um, when Draymond comes back, I would, I'd like to see how that develops before I make any more suggestions. Uh, before I pivot into the big Wednesday look ahead, I wanted to quickly remind everybody, like, and subscribe. We're in in-season mode now, people. This is a fresh new universe of all critical, time-sensitive basketball information all the time. And also, for most of these shows, especially the ones where we're, where we're not mushing them together, use the YouTube chat room. 
We'll get to all the best questions and comments at the end of the program. Try to do that every day if I can, time-dependent. Um, today, I think we'll be able to because uh, the recap only took 20-some-odd minutes. And the look-ahead, like, a lot of it is just things that we're going to be looking for here, so it can't possibly take that long for us to do it. So I'd love to get to some good questions at the end as well. Throw those in the YouTube chat. They'll be part of the show. Everybody's going to get to hear it. Uh, live viewers after the fact, those on the traditional pod channels. So again, like, rate, subscribe, and find me on Twitter over at Dan Bespris. We had our first tweet storm of the year last night. I've already got a thread going today on what to look for tonight. So it's basically like, hey, if you missed this part of the podcast where I do the look ahead, I type a lot, a lot of it up. Find me over there. It's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I expect you guys will find me over there right here in the middle of the damn show because there's 50 some of you watching live. And I know that there are going to be many hundred, at least on YouTube, that watch after the fact and thousands that listen after the fact. And if you're not finding me on social, you're missing out. Let me make that a little bit bigger for you guys that are watching. There's the name, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Let's talk upcoming games. Uh, I'll try to make this as big as I can for those watching nice large size font. Yes, I'm using the Basketball Monster site because I think it's very short and clean. And my computer can load it quickly. Uh, but let's just go through this piece by piece. We'll start at the top and uh, we'll work our way through. The uh, Atlanta Hawks, I'm curious about the wing minutes and the center minutes. So guys like DeAndre Hunter, Sadiq Bey, Jalen Johnson, Clint Capella, Onyeko Kongwu. That's all on the board for me. For the Hornets, I'm interested in everybody's role that's not named LaMelo Ball, which I know is a lot, but the Hornets is a team I'm going to be watching. So I would suggest you actually take in these. The, like, it's hard on a 12-game night because there's a number of games I'd like to be watching for realsies today, and I just, you can't because there's too many games uh, as the season goes, we'll be able to sort of laser focus what we're really watching night to night. Here's a key game. Here's a key game. There's like seven key games out of 12 tonight. So we'll do our best. But the Hornets are very much at the top of the board. I'd love to know what Terry Rozier is going to look like this year. Um, you know, Miles Bridges being in this legal stuff is is murky, but we haven't heard anything about his status for tonight. Or if we did, it just zipped past me. Someone in the chat room can maybe update me if I missed something. Uh, but that means that between Bridges potentially being back and Brandon Miller being added to the mix and re-signing of P.J. Washington, Mark Williams is the center. Um, what does it mean? Uh, you know, Gordon Hayward is also still part of this nonsense. I want to see what everybody's doing on that team that's not named LaMelo Ball. For the Wizards, uh, Daniel Gafford, like to see if he gets normal starters minutes. And then beyond that, it's just sort of how does how did the Jordan Poole, Kyle Kuzma, Tyus Jones ball sharing stuff develop. So nothing too deep into the weeds there. For the Pacers, I'd like to see what Obi Toppin looks like. Buddy Heald's job with the team right now with no contract extension. So like they're, he's on the block. So does that mean that they showcase him? Does that mean that they try to keep him healthy? Neither. Somewhere in between. Uh, I'd also like to see if Benedict Matherin showed some growth in his fantasy game during the offseason, but it'll be hard to know that from just one night, whereas we might be able to get a little bit of an answer on some of the other stuff there. For the Celtics, we actually just got word as I was talking. Um, no, actually, it was like a half an hour ago. Alf Orford will be coming off the bench, so that answers one question about Derek White on the uh, on the Celtics side. 
Um, Horford was someone that I considered with a last round pick in 14, 15 round drafts in Roto Leagues. I generally left him alone. And with him coming off the bench, I, don't, I just don't think there's going to be enough left for him there. Um, even though there are a few minutes in that front court that are open, they'll probably just go smaller. The Knicks. My main question there is around Josh Hart, meaning can he continue to get his high 20s minutes off the bench that he got down the stretch last year? Does the addition of Dante DiVincenzo muck that up, or does he mostly muck up the Quentin Grimes stuff? So it's that shooting guard small forward spot. And I guess you throw R.J. Barrett into that mix as well. Uh, that for the Knicks, I'm thinking, what is this about to become? The other spots on the quarter are fairly well intact. And then Emmanuel Quickly, who didn't get a rookie extension, does that mean that the Knicks are out on him? Does it mean that they just couldn't come to a deal that both sides agreed on? Is this still a guy that they're going to prioritize? Or is this a guy that they're going to start to kind of slowly slough towards the edges if he's not part of the future that they deem at some point this year? For the Rockets... Everything. I want to see if Alperin Shengun can lock down full starters minutes or if he loses out to a more defensive-minded backup center in Jock Landale. Uh, I want to see what Freddie Van Vliet's job is with this team. I want to see how many shots Dylan Brooks is going to take. And same story for Jalen Green. I want to know what Jabari Smith Jr. looks like. I want to see what Tari... Well, Tari Eason's out. I want to see what uh, Amon Thompson is doing with this club. I, there's just like... It's everything. For the Rockets, it's everything. That's a that's a game, if possible, try to watch for the Rockets side. So so far, the really interesting ones, Charlotte and Houston, where we have a crap ton of questions of the seven teams that we've mentioned so far. Uh, for Orlando, I don't have that many fantasy questions about the Magic. You know, I think Fultz is locked in as the starter. Uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to get some growth out of Franz Wagner and Paolo Boncaro and Wendell Carter Jr. is still the center there. I don't know that anybody else is really going to emerge on that team. Obviously, if they do, I want to be on top of it. But it's uh, it's not one of my priorities, at least at this exact moment. The Wolves. I actually think the Wolves are going to be better this year than people. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to lose tonight to make me look like an idiot. But... Whatever. It is just one ball game. Um, Slow-mo is my main question for the Timberwolves. Does he still have enough minutes to make an impact off the bench? Because he probably, that's, I assume, where he's going to be sitting here. And then how does the Cat-Gobert stuff shake out? Because we didn't get to see that many games of those two guys healthy together last year. And uh, now that Anthony Edwards has kind of grabbed the reins on this team, what does that mean for the uh, Cat and, and Gobert stuff? For the Raptors, my main question is uh, revolves around Gary Trent because I know enough about Dennis Schroeder's fantasy game to know where he tops out. Trent is the guy who has fantasy appeal as a three-point super steals specialist, but if he just doesn't have confidence in it, or if the team doesn't have confidence in him, I don't know how he gets to that mark. We'll get an answer, I hope, tonight. For the Pistons, this is also kind of an I-need-to-see-everybody sort of team, but I'm a little bit less intrigued by these guys because as we saw with Detroit last year most of the key players on that team have efficiency issues that hold their fantasy game back and that's including Cade Cunningham who hopefully has a better field goal percent but there's no guarantee that that happens now he'll be fine Cade will have fantasy value the questions revolve around everybody else besides arguably Jalen Duran. so Azar Thompson can he 
beat down his own efficiency issues with counting goodies. Does Jaden Ivey still have enough to do? Do they have any floor spacing with Boyan Bogdanovich out for a month? I mean, I get it. There's so many games to try to take in tonight. I think you could probably get away with just watching the Pistons box score develop on a quarter-by-quarter basis, but there are a lot of questions on that club, and uh, hopefully Game 1 will answer at least a few of them. The Heat. Who takes Gabe Vincent's minutes? Josh Richardson, I think, is banged up. I can't remember if he's playing in this ballgame. Sorry, guys. There's just too many players to keep track of. So it, it could eventually be Richardson. But at the beginning of the year, uh, I think it's Kyle Lowry. He's going in the 150s in fantasy drafts. I think he's worth like that last-round pluck or if you wanted to grab him off the wire and just see what happens. Because, And I say this not with the expectation that anything good is necessarily going to happen with Lowry, but if you recall, before the typical Kyle Lowry season-long battle with injuries started about seven, eight weeks into the season last year, he was a top 80 guy. I don't think that's going to happen again, but it could. Uh, Cavaliers, no Jared Allen, so uh, you'll get you know more Evan Mobley at center. That's always a good thing for him, but I think the stuff we're watching with the Cavs on the more long-term basis, is do any of the shooters emerge as that sort of extra fantasy play uh, beyond Donovan Mitchell, beyond uh, Darius Garland and Jared Allen around Mobley? So we'll we'll keep one eye on that. But again, not one that I think we need to laser focus on. For the Nets, I think the big question is about Ben Simmons. I'd like to see what he looks like in a real game. So if you can lay eyes on him and see what his stints on the floor look like just from a speed standpoint more than anything else, a confidence standpoint, that could give us a pretty good idea of whether he's a, you know, sell guy off a big ball game or if he's a buy guy if things aren't going his right his way. There could be something there. Uh rest of the nets I'm not super concerned about. I think we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be. For the Pelicans, I'm interested in the distribution of touches with their big usage guys all on the court. Zion, Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum being the three big usage guys, and then how does anybody else slot in around those dudes, if at all? And they very well might. It might be a three-horse situation here. Um, Maybe you get something out of, like, a Herb Jones if he's stealing the crap out of the ball. Eh. Can JV give you, like, ten rebounds and not much else? Meh. Does Trey Murphy come back in a month and a half, and does he become an efficient shooter? Maybe. Grizzlies have a bunch of questions. Who soaks up the center minutes? Is it going to be all Xavier Tillman, or or do they run JJJ up there for a bunch? How does Marcus Smart fit in right out of the shoot? Is Luke Kennard going to play? Because he was actually really good the last couple weeks last year, and nobody's talking about him at all. So I have a bunch of questions on Memphis, and I might watch that game. Thunder. I don't care. I'm not that interested in the Pelicans, but I do want to see what's going on with the Grizzlies. For the Thunder, I think we all just want to know what Chet's going to do on opening night. I don't know there's a whole lot else that we're overly concerned with. Um, for the Bulls, uh, Kobe White is someone to keep an eye on. Also, just they, I know they're trying to run sort of a faster offense. So what does that mean for DeMar, for Levine, for Vooch? Uh, Bulls are, I think, a pretty easy one. We don't have to be... Uh, I don't think we have to watch that one live either. For the Kings, I don't have that many questions. Um, we'll see if 
Keegan gets an extra shot per game, maybe rebounds a little more, but that team's healthy, and year over year, personnel-wise, there wasn't a whole lot to shake up. Jazz have a ton of questions. That's that, I'd like to... I, I'd like to watch that game to see what Utah's up to because we don't even really know who's going to be their point guard. We don't know what Colin Sexton's going to be doing this year. We don't know if it's going to be THT. What is Jordan Clarkson's role? Who's going to get the ball to the bigs like Walker Kessler? Is John Collins going to have a an anger-fueled bounce-back year? Larry Markinen, does he take a step back without a point guard? Does he take a step back because of the guys around him now? The Jazz have questions coming out of the you-know-what. For the Mavs, I think we're mostly interested in uh, will anybody else make a noise besides Luka and Kyrie? Because down the stretch last year, the answer was no. Could Seth Curry carve out a role, or does that make the team too small? Could Derek Lively carve out a role, or is the rookie stuff going to eat him up? Does it become, I mean, they got four guys they can play at center on that team. Does any Do any of them emerge? Spurs! Wemby, obviously we want to see what Wemby does here in game one, but a lot of the Spurs, and this is sort of a Pistons-adjacent kind of discussion, a lot of the main Spurs guys had big efficiency issues last year. Jeremy Sohan, bad percentages. Keldon Johnson, bad percentages. Uh, Trey Jones, better percentages, but no threes, and almost all just assists and steals and very little else. Uh, And they just ran these guys in on a rotation... And none of them could get there in 9-cat because of those anchor weight categories. Ankle weight, I guess, would be it'd be an anchor or an ankle weight. Can't call it an anchor weight, Dan. That's you, You're butchering it. Uh, but this is a chance to see if anybody made some, some moves forward. Zach Collins is uh, 50-50 right now. He's dealing with a cold. He did go through shoot-around is the latest news on him, as did Darius Garland, by the way. That news broke uh, a little bit earlier this morning, as did Luka Doncic. So uh, good news on that front. We do have a James Harden update that I'll throw in here at the very end of our look ahead, even though Philly doesn't play until tomorrow. Uh, But for the Spurs, I mean, I said it actually a bunch during the run-up season. I'm I'm concerned about investing a whole bunch of my draft and team capital in the Spurs. Devin Vassell, by the way, another his free throws were better. Eh, I mean, he was another guy that had some percentages issues last season. So can anybody improve enough in those? to really take that leap forward. Portland, we got to watch Portland. That's a, That, to me, is a must-watch fantasy team right now because I want to see what Simons is doing, what Scoot is doing, what Grant is doing, what Aiton is doing. If Brogdon gets to play, there's a lot. Shaden Sharp, there's so much going on with Portland that we might just need to see what the team looks like playing together as opposed to just checking a box score. And for the Clippers, unfortunately, the other side of that game, I'm not that interested in seeing them on a moment-to-moment basis because... We know the Clippers trade off offense between Kawhi and Paul George. Um, Russ is the guy they're hoping can help distribute a little bit better and it not always be Kawhi and PG bringing it up and starting the offense, but blah, blah, blah. Clippers are pretty much the same as they were at the end of last season. Uh, the news on the James Harden front has been, it's, I can't say coming fast and furious today because it's basically no news, but it is coming fast and furious today that he has... And Woj had a, a, a super long tweet about it, um, wh- I think 13 minutes ago, actually. Here's the tweet. I'll just read it. Quote, while Harden and the Sixers talked further following practice, the plan remains as they discussed earlier today, sources tell ESPN. Instead of going on the opening road trip, the team directed Harden to report to practice facility and work with development and medical staffs 
to get ready to begin season as soon as possible. Presumably, while he's on the trade block here, I think they're trying to get him moved before the team comes home from their uh, two games on the road. And if he's not moved by, I guess that would be Sunday, maybe we see him. I'll believe it when I see it, but that's the latest on James Harden, and I don't know if that means anything at all. Let's get into the questions from the YouTube chat room because that's what's going on uh, tonight. That was, again, there's a much longer one of those than normal because there's something happening in almost every ball game, and I wanted to really highlight a lot of stuff. Um, let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. Here, I'll put this one up there because I want to talk about this. I don't think, this is Oompa Loompa says, I don't think we Booker owners are going nuts over the first game of the season, bro, but you seem to be doing the opposite and downplaying it. Yeah, I'm going to downplay guys that I think overperformed, and I'm going to upplay guys that I think underperformed, kind of like the way we just talked about, like, Clay Thompson. He had a bad shooting game, but the other stuff was there. D'Angelo Russell had a bad shooting game, but the minutes and the opportunity were there. My job here, if I can do it right, is to make sure everybody sees the long game. So this this poster here, Oompa Loompa, you think that I'm hating, but it's not that. It's pragmatism in every respect. I know I'm a very boring fantasy analyst to follow, but I want to be extremely pragmatic about everything. So that's the players that overperform. I want to make sure we see the long game. The players that underperform. I want to make, see, make sure we see the long game and noting certain things that can and cannot happen and when they cannot cap happen allows people to hopefully see small fluctuations in value that maybe we can capitalize on a, a little bit as well. Thoughts on Dwight Howard's coming out party? I, I don't know what this is about. I must have missed something. Uh... He says, I have hardened Jared Allen and Draymond. What a start for me. Yeah, that's that's tough. Um, we knew Jared Allen was out, uh, and we knew Harden was out uh, for a little bit. The Draymond one was a little bit later news, so I, I think that one may be a, a little bit more of a surprise. Dwine says, hey, Dan, in Roto, do you add a valuable player even though you already have a solid roster just to block the league from adding that player on their team? For example, Xavier Tillman, my plan would be to just bench him. Um... I mean, it depends on the drop in this case. Obviously, you'd like to have a guy who you think is going to be a decent player. Um, you know, I'm not going to pick up a guy just to block someone else from having that dude. But particularly in Roto, there, there's like, if you can get someone who performs inside the top 100, you generally do it. I'm not certain that Tillman is inside the top 100. He was right around that area after the Steven Adams injury last season, but we also saw Memphis go to smaller lineups sometimes. There was an opportunity, and DFSers probably could pick this out better than I can, to really, uh, you could sort of almost localize the games where you knew Tillman was going to be better, when he was going up against uh, Jonas Valanciunas or Nikola Jokic or some wide-bodied center on the other club, where Memphis didn't want JJJ dealing with that player. They would instead go to Tillman, uh, until Brandon Clark got hurt, he was the other option if they wanted to sort of open it up and run a little bit more. They don't have as many options now. Uh, I think Santi Aldama is actually out for this first game, but he might slide up and be sort of a floor-spacing power forward center, and he and JJJ can kind of flip-flop who they're dealing with there. Um, I think Tillman's worth rostering, but don't pick him up unless you're dropping someone who's worse than him. You know, just 
keep it simple, I guess. Uh, Jay Wiz says, first year playing fantasy basketball, learning so much thanks to your content. Dude, that's so kind of you. My main, my main goal here on this show, YouTube, pod, whatever, has always been to simplify fantasy basketball and try to help people see it as a, a winnable game where winning is more fun than losing. Uh, but in the hierarchy, winning is the most fun. Having fun players is less fun than that, and then losing is the least fun, if that makes sense. Oh, here, one more follow-up from Oompa Loompa. Booker, Booker averaged 6.5 and 6.8 the two previous seasons before CP3. Zero chance he averages eight, and no one is even thinking that. So you and I agree on the zero chance he averages eight, but you and I disagree on no one is even thinking that because I have seen multiple analysts on Twitter say that he's averaging eight assists a game this year. I have seen analysts say that he's a double-double threat this year. So if you're not following them, that's fine. Maybe good in this regard because then you didn't see what was kind of a bad take. Uh, but people are saying it. So you, for sure that's out there. I, I like that we agree on where he's actually going to end, which is like six and a half-ish. But people are saying eight. Which two would you drop for streams? Brandon Miller, Sadiq Bey, Paul Reed are the three choices. None! None! You literally haven't seen those three players go yet. Don't drop a player to stream the slot if you haven't seen them play yet. Seems simple enough, but I know it's hard because this first week of the season, we all want to be doing 15 things because we haven't made a fantasy basketball move since April. You drafted these guys because you liked them, presumably. Let them play. Sack Accountant says, not enough roster spots. Should I start Harrison Barnes at Utah or Patrick Williams versus Oklahoma City? Uh, can you figure out what stats you need more? Because Barnes will score more and get you better free throws and uh, maybe better rebounds, and Patrick Williams had a better shot at steals and blocks. That's the short version. Yakov says, hey, made a big trade. Would love your opinion. Nine cat. I give. Jimmy Butler, Jordan Poole, Brooke Lopez. I get Dame and Drew Holiday. Um, Dame, Jimmy Butler, they're not all that far apart. Drew Poole, they're not all that far apart. You know, I might have stuck with the first side. It's close, though. I got no big problem with it. And relatively fair. The fact that I look at it and think, well, means it's probably relatively fair. Hinney says, what do you think of this trade? Poole and Middleton for Paul George. Paul George side for me. I'll take on that one. Uh, Alex <laughs> Dwarfy Pig Rodriguez says, what to do with Harden? Well, if you've got him, you're sitting on him. Because right now, I mean, honestly, the news on Harden that we're hearing today is, in my eyes, Maybe the best news we could have gotten on Harden, which is that he's still, and the team is still, is like telling him practice for one more week and then maybe you can play. Uh, I didn't think he was even going to be showing up. So this was a positive in my eyes. He actually showed up. He's ready to go. Team told him don't come yet. Uh, so if you have him, hold on to him. If you don't have him and someone's freaking out, see if you can trade away your fifth or sixth rounder and get him. Because at some point, Harden's going to play, and he's going to be a top 20 fantasy play. DJ Andre, should I drop Malik Beasley to activate Al Horford from IL Plus? Uh, sure. 
I don't think Beasley's going to be very good. I know he's starting, but I can't imagine that sticks because that's a bad defensive backcourt in Milwaukee if it's Beasley and Dame trying to keep people out of the paint. I don't know. Floor spacing is what they necessarily need there. Uh, I'm fine with it. I don't think Be- I think Beasley is no more than a streamer himself. So to that end, you say, fine, drop him, activate Horford, and then go throw someone else an IL plus and get another streamer the next day. David says, do I start Tillman and Roto or do I wait and see? I'll tell you what. If he gets the starting nod, if we officially find out he's starting for Memphis today as they go up against Jonas Valanciunas and Zion Williamson and the Pels, I'd say start him. If he's starting, you start him. If he's not, you don't. Uh, Let's see. What do we got here? And... Wayne T. Let's make this the last question because we're approaching 55 minutes. Hey, Dan, I have an open bench slot. Who's the better ad? Jalen Johnson, Zaire Williams, or Kyle Lowry? Well, this brings up a question of how badly do you need the stats today versus stats in January? Because in January, Jalen Johnson's probably going to be the best option of those three. Today, it's probably Kyle Lowry, which is just like the grossest feeling to say Because Kyle Lowry has, for three years now, basically been a guy I've said he's actually too old even for the old man squad. But if he's truly healthy and upright, and he's starting at point guard, you know, 13-6 and is well within reach. He's always been a good steals guy. He's been a good three-pointers guy, good free-throw shooter, bad field goal guy. But he's probably going to get more opportunity today than either of those other guys, Jalen Johnson or Zaire Williams. I think Lowry has more opportunity than those guys by, like, a pretty high factor. Friends, on the way out today, make sure you like, rate, subscribe, no matter where you're taking in the content. What's coming up on Fantasy NBA today is nothing. This is going to be our only show today because, time-dependent, this afternoon, I'm going to put together some tutorial videos on the brand-new tools that are a part of the uh, Sports Ethos Fantasy Pass. The one that I'm really into is the head-to-head breakdown tool where you enter your team and your opponent's team And it will tabulate the scores at the end of the week based on the Brewski 150 projections. Since that's what, because these teams haven't played yet. As the days and weeks go on, the projections will adjust based on things that we're seeing. But right now, and it fills in the games played for you, by the way. The engine already has the weekly matchup. So you just put in the player's name and it'll fill in the rest. And you can see how you're going to do against your opponent. And that helps you make streaming decisions, which we also have a streaming chart. I don't think anybody needs a tutorial for that. But I'll have a tutorial for some of these. Hopefully I can get those up on our YouTube page later on today. Uh, certainly by the end of the week. That's a pretty damn cool thing. If you have a fantasy pass, make sure you're using this stuff. And if you don't, you can get it over at sportsethos.com. Shout out once again to our buddies at manscaped.com. You can get 20% off and free shipping on your Manscaped order with promo code ETHOS20. Here is once again... The handyman. I'm going to let it buzz into the microphone. Oh, God, I almost accidentally shaved my face there. That's the sound of the handyman handying away. 20% off free shipping on your order at manscaped.com with promo code. Once again, that is ethos20, ethos20. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Season's officially underway. Big Wednesday coming up tonight. You guys know you'll see me tweeting about it like an idiot. I don't know. I feel like an idiot when I do it. Maybe you guys like it. Over at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Ethos Fantasy BK is the Sports Ethos news feed. 
And come hang out with us in the Sports Ethos Discord. In fact, as I'm signing off on uh, YouTube, I'm going to throw that link in the live chat. So if anybody's still hanging out and looking over there, they can see the uh, code to get into the Sports Ethos Discord on your way out. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. We'll see y'all tomorrow.